When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by a co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT, live on Twitter space, if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, it's slightly different and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you can let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. So Gerard, I'll start us off, man. You know, the question was put to me around having a theme for the session, how important it is. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I was trying to think about this question myself today from so many different avenues. Myself as a coach, and if I'm putting on a session as a player, uh, as a coach, coaching players, or like what my expectations are as a head of coaching, director of coaching, whatever, senior lead within a, within a phase or within a club. And it's really interesting because uh, I know we had a similar conversation on one of our chats before. And for me, there's always a theme or a focus in what I'm trying to achieve in tonight. Doesn't mean I'm necessarily wedded to it because there's been many a times, even with planning a session, where I've sort of got like three main activities, if you like, sort of three steps or four maps. And, but then there's been times where I haven't gone out of the first sort of play phase or main activity uh, there's been times where I've started off a, a practice and I've often stayed within the same activity throughout the whole session you know and I think that's okay um, and sometimes it's did off in different directions uh, different to what I originally had planned but the and intended but then again if we're talking about truly being based on the needs of who's in front of us I think it's okay to have that flexibility that said um, you know, 
it's weird because if you'd have spoken to me years ago, I'd have probably said, no, you've got to have a, you know, you've got to stick to what you're working on and, and so forth and have a clear structure. Um, more experience I've got, I'm probably comfortable now that I've, I've got that flexibility. I've got things in my head. I can adapt on the fly. I know we were talking to uh, one coach who used to work at Barnet as the head of coaching under 23s. He's, he's been a double pass um, e triple P auditor and what have you. He was on this talk recently, wasn't he? And uh, basically, he was saying that now he almost plans the sort of first part and he doesn't plan the rest of the session, if at all. And he'll go in with the session with a, a sort of vague plan in mind, but he'll let it organically evolve and it tests him as a coach to be able to skillfully adapt. You know, has he got the ability as a coach to? add new practices, change rules, change conditions, and so forth. So I do think it's one that we've got to really engage with everyone in the room because there's a lot of experience in the room. You know, we've got coaches like ourselves who are coached at different academies within the EPPP. We've got some coach developers and so forth. So it'd be be interesting to see what everyone's thoughts are. In summary, mine would be that I think there's pluses and minuses to both, and I think it helps to have a a clear focus, a clear theme on what you want to achieve. That's what I'm saying to my coaches who are under my remit. It's what principles are you working on in tonight, but then, you know, you're not necessarily lasering in too much on one principle and then you're isolating the others or certain moments of the game. Because if we're talking about creating really game-like experiences or things that look something like the game or at least their game, then it needs to include all moments in terms of like your transition, your attacking, your defending, and so forth. And you know, the, if if you're working on attacking principles, then that means that there's got to be defending involved in order to be real. So you're not necessarily coaching one side of the game, but you, of course you'll be coaching all sides of the game. You'll be planting seeds and layering stuff, um, you know, intentionally or not. You know, some stuff it might be. You know, by by consequence of the design of the the, the question, the challenges that you you place in, that they're getting opportunities to to learn other things as well. But you made me shine a light on one particular element. Perhaps that's how I would work. And I think the more I think about it, it's probably quite an holistic approach. So you're not neglecting. You know, it's a bit like years ago talking about like this is only a technical session. Or this is I'm working in the physical corner today, or I'm working in the social corner. And I remember hearing that on the Advanced Youth Award, you know, when I did that in 2014. And I was thinking, but surely all four corners exist in every session. So you're not only working in the physical corner or only working in the social corner. Because if you're doing your job right, they'll be getting, like, regardless, every, they're going to get opportunities of everything. I guess it just depends on, like, what returns you're hoping to get out. Um, there might be certain things like life skills or certain key qualities that you want to to get out more than others, but ultimately everything's been developed at once. So I guess, yes, you can have a theme, but there can be that flexibility within the theme based on the needs of the player. But I think that's a very difficult place to go because we've got a lot of experience that we're be, and we're still learning ourselves between me and you and everyone in the room, you know, where we can go with it. Um, if you're a new coach starting out or even you've been coaching for maybe five years or so, are you still going to be experienced enough to do that? I'm not so sure. I don't know. So it's a, it's one that's going to cause a lot of debate and a lot of 
discussion. And I'm excited to hear your thoughts as well as, you know, everyone else's in the room, Laura's, Tony, Stuart, everyone. Uh, it'd be interesting to see. Sorry if I sound contradictory. It was a, it's a bloody no. question. <laughs> I, th- I, think, I think there's some great stuff in it. I think the first point and the most uh, probably a crucial one to consider is obviously you mentioned there that throughout your own journey that you're at a stage now where you feel like you are flexible and adaptable. And, you know, I guess before I kind of really share my insights and my views on it, you know, I really want to kind of dig deeper into a little bit, a little bit of what you said. And I think, would you then say that it is something that we come to expect as you as we go get more experience and go through the journey? Or is it, is it, is it something that we should maybe place in higher demands on coaches earlier on in their journeys to be thinking about as well? I think potentially the latter, because I always remember when we were playing around with sessions at Rochdale, like basic like practice design, and we were talking about what is it that we want to get out of tonight? Like what's the main session intention or, you know, objective, if you like. We would often be designing some stuff where we were starting to play with it. So we were doing, you know, it's nothing revolutionary, like whole part whole. Sometimes I would start practices with like a mini World Cup game, you know, but like we do on the street. And you got you could do copy doubles, you could do singles, all these different challenges, and it, and just in, again intentional free play, or, or we start with some kind of a game, and we'd let the players manage stuff within that, but then, you know, the part bit wasn't necessarily pre-planned. There'd be times where, like, I remember this from Rochdale distinctively, like 2010, 2011, 2012, where, and this was only as I was starting to be around certain people. Um, we, we would actually let the rest of the session be almost like no session plan, if you like. Even though EPPP, you've got to have a clear plan. We were sort of going freedom of, well, let's see what the players' needs are. Like, let's see what really pops out based on what we've seen within this game or based on what we've seen within this sort of core practice. Because that might change our thinking. And that was interesting because we started to get better as coaches, or at least I felt so, uh, observing and actually coaching who's in front of you versus coaching what's on my session plan. So versus going like, here's my natural progression. Here's how I can make it more challenging. Here's how I can maybe make it less challenging, which is important. But I'm sticking to that script. And I've got to get these logical coaching points out. As the years have gone on, like I don't even write coaching points on my session plans now. I just I just have the, the activity, the rules, the challenges, and, and some guided questions. And then I just go with the flow. It's really, so it's it's interesting, but I think, and hopefully this answers your question in that I think it depends on who you're surrounded with because if we're surrounded by certain people or, you know, if we're, we've got like the head of coaching or academy manager or phase lead who's, who's quite open-minded, willing to allow you to have freedom to express yourself as a coach and try things versus being in a quite a strict framework or curriculum that's week one, you've got to do this, and week four, everything looks like this. And by the way, your plan has to be this. You know, there's some academies that I've gone into, and there'll be people listening that will know this, where their session plans are pre-designed for them. And it's pretty much like you've got a menu, you go into sports session planner, and that's what you're given by your phase leads or whoever, and that's what you've got to execute. You know, I've worked for national governing bodies, delivering on the C license, not the FA, but others, where this was the session that has to be done based on this mechanic or whatever we're teaching, and that's how it has to be done. And that's quite restrictive as a coach. And I never used to – I used to hate that because I used to think I'm coaching something that I might not agree with or, again, it's pre-planned. 
And the danger with that becomes that, you know, if that's all you're used to and that's all you know, then, of course, like you asking, we even asking this question or being asked this question, we would always say, yeah, you've got to have a theme and you've got to stick to it and you've got to do this and you've got to do that because we've not experienced anything else, have we? So I think it's really important wherever that coach is in the journey is who's surrounding them as well and who's given them, you know, because if you listen to um, Ramsey at uh, QPR, he'll often talk about, They'll work on principles, but they'll look at the holistic approach and the coaches will have that freedom that they're not shining a light on one particular element of the game by neglecting the other. So it's quite interesting. I don't know what your thoughts are on, on all that. Yeah, no, I think there's, 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 some, there's, some, there's some really good stuff in there. I think I'm going to start by touching on the whole part, whole piece. You know, you talked there about not really having a plan for the part, practice. And I, I actually think, you know, to do whole part, whole and do it effectively is probably it's actually a really really strong skill. It's a, it's a it's a really difficult skill to manage. And what, why I say that is, you're right. You need to coach what's in front of you, not what's on the session plan. But in order to do that, you also need to have, you need to be aware of the con the potential outcomes that could that could arise as a result of that whole. I think in my experiences, I've seen a lot of coaches probably use that as a cop out and say, yeah, we're doing whole part whole. Um, but the part never actually marries up with the needs of the players in that particular session. And, you know, you might have been going into that session thinking they might need this, they might need that, they might need this. But sometimes I feel like coaches aren't paying attention to it enough to just find the details around why something maybe didn't go quite right, whether, whether they've doing it on the back of the game the week before, whether, that, whether they're looking at certain factors and they've had certain successes in certain moments of the season or whatever, but they've not actually then addressed what, what exactly is the reason that they're having a breakdown as well. You know, a very basic example of that, you know, probably the simplest way to think about it is, you know, playing out from the back as an example. You know, you play five games in a row and the opposition don't really press you, you're going to get a lot of success, hopefully. But then in game six, where the opposition do press you, that's where it breaks down. But you haven't actually addressed the fact that, you know what, the whole time this has happened, it's not that they aren't able to play out from the back, but they've never, they've never actually had to do it against pressure. And then just considering that in your planning as well. And I think that's probably the first bit I would say the second bit you know I want to kind of link back into your earlier earlier thing about the link in the four corners I, you know I think it's spot on the four corners are always going to be linked so I don't think there's any any point in necessarily isolating them it's just understanding what returns you're going to get in each of the areas and whether those are the intended outcomes that you want to, that you want to achieve in that session or not um I think in terms of you know you talk there about you know some clubs having an approach where it's like oh well, here's a menu of practices that you can go and deliver I mean you know, there's clubs going to be up and down the country that do things differently. There's going to be environments across the world that do do things differently. But I guess the question I've got for you is, you know, how much can coaches really benefit from a from a menu type approach um, if if they are in that sort of, sort of that type of environment? More specifically, I think it's a really big point to, a question to ask around. Now, how important is it just for a coach to maybe really consider the environment before stepping into it? Because there's so many coaches out there looking to progress their journeys and step up into you know, the quote-unquote elite world of football, whether that be working at youth level or not. And there's so there's so much more focus on that than understanding actually the environment I'm going to is probably just as important, if not more important. Yeah, there's loads even in just the bits you've said there, which I think is cool. Like, I mean, just quickly, I think everything it can be summarised by getting that ongoing experience, isn't it? You're only going to get better and only going to know the consequences of things if it, by spending real time thinking about your session. But you could do all the theory in the world, being all the classrooms in the world, all the course in the world. You need experience on the grass. 
And that's how we're going to get better. The more experiences, coaching as much as you can for as long as you can across as different levels and formats of the game as you can is only going to give you richer, richer pulls to, to draw from, right? And I think, you know, and it goes back into like, if you're planning your session, you're thinking about your theme or what it is you're trying to do based on not your preference, but what do the kids actually need and how can we stretch and challenge them? I think then it's like thinking about what can go wrong in the practice. So you've always got to go for those what ifs. So at least that's how I'll do it. And I've, I've tried to do that over the years and get simpler at it. Um, because I think if you just look at the practice, but then you think about, because you know, players are cheaters, aren't they? They'll always find a way to break the session, which is great. And especially the top, the higher levels you go up, they can fuck it up right good. So it's what can go well. Like what are some of the rules? Is it restrictive? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Conditions that like you're going through all those what ifs. What what does good look like? What does great look like? What does bad look like? Again, it's time-consuming, but if people actually do it properly, you know, they'll end up learning more just by thinking about those details. And again, you know, it's it's important to really focus on that. And I think that's where, you know, as a coach, I, I, I mean, I was quite purposeful in, I was offered a couple of roles at different academies, you know, whilst at Rochdale, I was flirting with different clubs as people do. And even like conversations that came up naturally when you're on courses and you're meeting people. And I remember one club in particular, they were very drillish, very much this is how it was. I think the academy manager at the time was a, an ex forward. Um, he had his certain preferences and very attacking, which is great. You know, it was interesting, a lot of sort of striker movements and very drill orientated and believed in like this technique conquers all and there's got to be a right technique for everything. And, I was tempted more because it was a bigger badge, if you like, at the time. And then I thought, actually, no, this isn't the right environment for me. I need to stay at Rochdale where I'm going to get more support and I'm going to be allowed the freedom to try things and get it wrong and I'll get harsh truths. Um, so I think what you've said there is bang on because I could have gone to another club, which is, you know, could be arguably deemed a bigger club, but they were in a methodology or a, a sort of paradigm that was totally opposite to what I felt was, was right. So I just thought, you know, what, and I, I was tempted even thinking, do I need to go in that environment to get better at that? So at least I've got a little side of every perspective. I thought, actually, no, I just, I really want to work on this and get better at this. And I think, you know, it's like anything in life, isn't it? When you're designing your sessions or you're thinking about your next step, or you're thinking about this is like, what's the theme I'm working on tonight or not? As long as you've got a rationale behind what you're doing, why, then great. You know, if anyone, I mean, that's what I'll be doing, you know, in my roles when I'm, I'm asking people questions. If they haven't got a rationale, that means they haven't thought about it long enough. But if they've got a good enough answer for, well, here's what I'm thinking. Here's the, this is the trade-off that I'm comfortable with. So I'm sacrificing this because I want to get this or whatever. Then that's okay. At least they've got a rationale. Doesn't mean you always have to agree with it, but at least they've got some thought process into the decision and I think that's what we need to do and you know going back to that question you know should I have a theme for my session yes like you should have something but then it but also that thing can be flexible you know I guess it can be you know and, and with more experience of trying things you probably get better at that as well you know is there an advantage for going into a session with no theme I don't know it'd be interesting to see what people's thoughts are um, I can see Tony's request to speak it'd be great to Get other perspectives in, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just before I bring Tony in, there's a couple 
really, 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 really key things that you've touched on for me there. And I think that rationale piece, and I think uh, for me, rationale is not just um, people having a reason as to why they're doing it, but it's actually having a, having a reason, rather, or an answer, if you like, which holds up to scrutiny. And it's not, well, this is what I thought, and this is why, I, this, is, this, is, this is it. It's actually having an answer that's ready to be scrutinised and can hold the test. And it doesn't mean that the person on the other end has to agree with it. Like you said, you know, I don't have to agree with it. I mean, I'm, I, 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 I mean, I'm, one perfect example of that was, you know, just before Christmas when I went, when I went down to observe a, um, a learner for one of his uh, level two qualifications. And, you know, we were talking about the session after we finished. And then he's like, so what would you have done? And I, and I gave him a bit of insight around possibly what I would have done and whatnot. And it was, yeah, but it was completely different to what I did. I said, well, you, that's the beauty of it. We're not the same coach. We see things differently, and that's fine. As long as, as long as you understand why you're doing it, and you can help, you can help. In that case, myself, or in any other case, someone else understand the reasons why you're doing it, and they can see why you're doing it. They don't have to agree with it, but it is what it is. Right. I, think, I think I think that's a I think that's a really really important point to kind of highlight there, and just to kind of build on that a little bit. You know, just your last question there around. The themes, and I mentioned to you earlier, is something that I've been considering uh, quite quite a bit recently. And I, I've kind of come to this, you know, this this point where I actually don't believe we need a theme for our session. But what we do need to be is clear on what principles we're going to work on within it. So I don't think it's a case that we're going to go cover everything. No, but we, you know, we can't. But I also don't think it's a case where we have to cover one specific thing. I think what what we do and where I'm kind of leaning more towards now is working on principles. Am I working in possession or am I working out possession? And just to kind of reiterate, that doesn't mean that I'm just because I'm working on in possession as my main focus that there's not going to be elements of out of possession that I have to kind of, uh, you know, drip feed in or whatever, just to kind of make sure that the practice has the right intensity, the competition, the level of opposition is at the right level I need it to be so I can really maximise what I want to get out from the session. But I think the way I've started to look at things now is, right, I'm going to work in possession. I'm going to focus on the principles in possession and I'm going to pick an area of the pitch for, for me to really make that focus uh, more applicable. So as an example, I'm going to work in possession principles in the midfield third, but I'm going to work for it centrally rather than in the wide area. Now, what I've what I've come to understand by doing that, taking that approach, is all the themes that we might or might not have used previously, or some, or what probably a lot of people are still doing, they're not they're going to come up anyway. They're they're going to come up. But if I'm coaching around the principles, I'm really helping my players understand the game and how the game should operate. They will start to make better decisions. In my opinion, my experiences now around where they might want to combine and what that combination might look like in a midfield third and what it might look like in the wide area, what it might look like to defend outnumbered when you're, you know, in, in the final third on the, white, on the right-hand side or whatever the, whatever area of the pitch that is. And you know, that's an approach that I've started taking. So, like, really just focusing on the principles. Um, and even in the environments where I'm working, where I'm supporting coaches, it's really challenging them to say, right, OK, do you know enough about the principles? Because it's all well and good you having a theme. But if you don't know the principles... Your theme, your theme isn't going to be effective enough anyway. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. A workshop recently with the coaches, all the academy staff will have you at the club that I was delivering uh, last week. I think it was on Wednesday. And this actually came up and we were talking about, we have our principles that we've, we've basically, I've created and I'm sharing with the staff and, some of them, like even in possession, like how can we find the free player? How can you play forward? How can you break lines? This, you know, we've got these basic principles, what we've got, but 
it, we, we had that topic of like that can be achieved anywhere. Like if we're teaching kids how to find ways to play forward, how to eliminate a passer, with, uh, how to eliminate a defender with a passer, a dribble, how to whatever, you know, and even like some of the qualities that we're looking at on the on the new C license with the FA around sort of positioning and searching and what have you, that can be done across any theme. Any, you're absolutely right. I think the the principles are key, aren't they? You know, and if we're teaching these kids how to interact with the environment, and that can be applicable to any scenario anywhere on the field. So yeah, it'd be great to. We've actually, I mean, we've got Dean on as well. who will be able to add his sort of perspective probably after Tony around him going into this with a, a sort of open mind in, in terms of that. Hundred percent. Evening, Tony. How are you, man? I'm good, thanks. Uh... Thanks for doing this again. Nice to see a few uh, new faces jumping on board too. And I guess it's easier to coach without a theme if you are inexperienced to a certain extent because you can just coach what you see in front of you rather than having to look for specific things that that might not be there. Um, I also think it's important to... um, to understand the difference between a syllabus and a theme as well for some people because um, it actually occurred to me a little bit earlier while Gerard was speaking about um, if you can get 6-0 for week after week but your syllabus and your plan for the night is um, attacking in the final third, then how are you going to improve your players and how are you going to improve your team? So, the the syllabus thing, and again, I, th- I think however many, a lot of this will depend on how many times a week you can train. So, if you're working with a club, whether it be an academy or a graduate team, you might only have one session a week. So, then you really have to prioritise. I, I believe that you should have a theme that, that, as a coach, you go there knowing what you want to focus on or what you believe the team needs to focus on. Uh, and again, this is the difference between working with a team, maybe, and having responsibility for a collection of individuals. Because I, I don't think they're the same thing. I think that in academy football, you have that responsibility for all the individuals within uh, within the group because you know that they're not going to stay together at, at the end of the season or they won't necessarily be there all the way from under nine through to under 16. Whereas if you're coaching a grassroots team, the emphasis is likely to be still on development I'm not doing that down but there's going to be more of a, a closed focus if you like on on winning games or at least performing in a in a reasonable way every week oh sorry I can, you can hear me now I think my signal went I completely agree I think you it's interesting listening to you, Tony, there, to be honest, because it's there's definitely a difference between individual and team and and even the contexts that you've talked about as well, between grassroots or academy, club, etc. I'd be interested to know what your thoughts are in terms of, like, if a coach came to you at academy and was like, I haven't got a particular theme tonight, but I'm going to work on these principles. So it might, might we're not going to go all over the gaff, but we might lean towards... Um, how we let's say how we break lines, find ways to play forward, but he's sort of going and seeing what happens within the session. He's going to put on a couple of different games, 
and let it evolve from there. What what would be your thoughts? You know, especially being in some of the positions you've been in. You know, to that, would you be open to that? Would you not? It's good to just get a different perspective on it. I think that as long as that coach can justify why he's doing what he's doing, and if it doesn't veer too far away from what everybody else is working, I, I guess in academies, one of the reasons why you kind of work to a syllabus and, and all the age groups are working on the same theme that week is because unlike grassroots football, you're allowed to transition players up or down for their individual development needs. So you might have an under 14 who is physically a little bit behind the eight ball. Um, you might drop him down to the under 13s that week. At the same time, you might have a 14 who's pretty advanced. So he's going to go up and play in the under 15s. Now, if the under 13s have been working on something that's completely um, different to what the under 14s were working on, when that player steps down, because he might not train with them during the week, he's going to train with his own uh, train with his own age group, he gets a little bit lost. So you, you're not giving him an, a, a fair chance to succeed. So I, I think that as long as what he's doing aligns with the club's, uh, again, going principles like yourself and Yaz have both said, I, I, I'm happy to, to let him have free reign. And if I think that he's getting too far away, then as an experienced coach, it's my job to bring him back closer to where we need him to be. It, sorry, I know Yaz did jump in. It's in that I think I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this on it. might be another topic for another day, but I'm trying to design the the club where every team is basically within the every age group within the club not everything's going to look the same there'll be a common golden thread in terms of i guess how we how we design practices you know touches on the ball ball rolling directional um fun challenges etc that'll be a golden thread that runs throughout but in terms of like one team working on the same or, or all the age groups working on the same things I'm going to have it where like, it'll, it'll end up being slightly different. Some might be working on defending principles. Some will be working on attacking. Some will be working on something else, different areas of the field. Um, and we'll still have player movement. But then I guess it, it depends on, like there'll be individuals lasered within that. But then it will also depend on, like as we said before, like team needs and the collective one. It'd be interesting to, without veering this off, get your thoughts on that as well, because... Yeah, it's it's sort of all interlinks. Yeah, I think that um, there is a danger in in doing that. That everybody's doing different things all over the place, and um, you're still going to have that movement up and down. That's great. I just for me, I'm a bit concerned that some coaches, um, let's say your coach is an ex defender. If you if you can go to the end of the season, if you like, jump forward to the end of the season and look how many sessions that guy puts on um, that are defensively orientated. In other words, is he going to coach what he knows or is he going to coach what the players need? So I think there might be a danger in that respect. Right. Sure, I'm just, just going to jump in on it. And I think it's a probably to address both of them really I think for me 
I think um, I don't, you know, Joe. I think I agree with Tony to an extent. I think there's going to be some danger in the fact that everyone's doing something different. However, I think the way it could work, and I think the way it's most impactful, is probably going to be sticking to an in possession week versus an out of possession week. So, for instance, it's not a set theme. It, it's literally everyone this week across the age groups. We're working in possession, and. I mean, this is where I can some of my experiences recently, and 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 a program that I'm working on at the moment. I'm really starting to see some of the benefits of this. Is that if everyone is working around the principles, the players are understanding what the goals are and what the intended priorities are for how to progress through the game. Now, if they're able to do that, whether they go down, up, left, right, with with whichever age group or or collective coach that they might be working with, if every coach is actually coaching around the principles of the game, the players, in my opinion, should definitely be able to latch onto that, understand the game better, and therefore become potentially more creative around how they progress through the challenges and problems that they've got, because they actually understand what the intended outcomes are for each of the principles, how to operate within the game, regardless of the area of pitch, because there is set principles in possession. There is set principles out of possession. So there's a clear message around what we're trying to achieve. I think what, what my experiences are now, are now showing me is that when the themes are in place, sometimes that takes the coaches focusing their delivery and certainly the players focusing in their understanding away from the actual principles themselves and more around the actual action. In this case, it could be, like I said, it could be a combi- combining in a particular, in, in a way, it could be pressing in a particular way, but in actual fact, yes, we're all going to have a style of play, if you like, but everything that we should do, everything that we do do, anything that we do on an individual basis, a collective basis or whatever, should ultimately link itself back to the principles. And I think this is where I see firsthand from my experiences, a lot of coaches maybe not having a true grasp of what the principles really are and how important they actually are to the game to the point where they're actually confusing players by just giving them moments of the game, but in different themes, if you like. And therefore, when a player is in those moments and isn't necessarily able to see how to get success or see where it broke down, largely it would come back down to their lack of understanding and maybe potentially even lack of exposure to what the principles actually are and how they actually demonstrate themselves within different areas and moments of the game. Yeah, and even just to piggyback off what you were saying there, because I think both are interesting. And I've been involved in environments where it's like everything's the same, or at least even if it's not the same, we're pretty much like this is an in-possession, then there's an out-possession. Some have done it by transition or four moments of the game. Where I've gone with it is that my thinking is that, and I'm not implying that anyone who's saying this is is, uh, doing this, uh, like I'm not saying Tony or, or you, Yaz, but from my experience, most people who prefer like one particular set block or we're working on this moment or whatever is often because of control and not always in a in a bad way, but more like getting across the teams. You can observe everyone's doing, you know, you walk onto the field, you can see everything going off the way you, you might want it, or at least it looks um, and feels like what you might want to be seeing. And for some of the reasons what Tony mentioned before, you know, players moving across teams and things like that. And it's also for you know the coach developers and what have you. They can they can see stuff. My my thing is that if you said like you've got without delving off topic, you know you've got six weeks. 
you work in a six-week cycle, the coaches have to explain to me, you know, based on the needs of the, the group, as well as obviously what they're going to identify with individuals, with that collective group, what are they going to work on over those six weeks? And versus being like one week in possession or two weeks in possession or three weeks in possession and three weeks out of possession or two, two and two or whatever it may be, um, or one, 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 one or so on. Um, I think a key thing is them being able to say to me, I've, I reckon that is that we need to work on attacking principles of how we can, you know, U10 team, stay on the ball, outplay people 1v1, find ways to retain possession and play forward. Okay. And there's lots in there, even in that, you know, in terms of like player actions and what have you. And they can occur all over the field, but that coach might say, you know what, I want it to, I'm going to really focus in on how we build our attack. Um, look at the roadmap. We're going to be close to our goal, how we construct the attack, but I'm going to laser in on these these qualities, um, blah, 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 and these player actions within the principle of, uh, playing forward or breaking lines or whatever. Okay, great. So they might work on those attacking principles for, you know, f- three weeks and the other would be uh, three weeks for defending. But then, of course, you're not only working on attacking, you're working on attacking and defending for six weeks because in order to, you know, build up from the goalkeeper and play out and have those individual qualities, 1v1, 1v2, and when to pass, when to dribble or stay on the ball or whatever, out, play out thing, you've got to be able to do that against pressure. So, effectively, there's a counter-principle of how are the opposition stopping you playing forward and breaking lines? How are they pressing you? Different, varied types of defending. So, again, over those six weeks, you've touched on a couple of little things. And who's to say that you couldn't stick on that for the for the next six weeks or do six weeks of mainly shining a light on all of the, the attacking in this particular moment and, and area of the field. And that's where I think it, it allows that freedom. We've played with it already because we've seen that some coaches have gone, do you know what, I'm just going to focus on defensive principles to begin with and get these right. And then we'll reevaluate after the first couple of weeks and see if it's something that we're, you know, we're on track, if we need to change or whatever. I think that's good because it also allows coaches that flexibility within a framework. So you've got a framework of how we want to play, how we want to coach, some of the things that we want to work on. But for them, if we're talking about we want self-learners, creativity, you know, I'm, I'm picking up on words both have said, um, and in particular you, Yaz, we want these self-learners, we want these creative problem solvers and so forth as players. Well, we need self-thinking coaches. We need coaches that are creative. So we need to be able to give them license where they can be creative in their thinking and their planning and how they operate. And I'm okay with that, that it will look slightly different. Um, the challenge then becomes, like you said, you know, uh, as one coach got one bias over another, but then that's why I think whoever the head of coaching is or DOC or whatever has to be on top of that coach and, and saying to them, what's the rationale and why? Are we on track where we need to move to? Um, and I think that's how you could avoid those those issues, really. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to see Obviously, thoughts, Yaz, and even Tony, or even obviously, we've got to get into Dean, you know, who's had a lot of experience of coaching, not necessarily with a theme, but actually being organic within the session as well. 100%, 100%. Just before we move on to the other uh, guests on tonight's show, guys, if you could just take a brief moment just to follow my account, follow your Learnby account and Gerard's account. You know, we are here every single Sunday bringing together conversations literally for people just like us and you. Um, help us connect, network, grow, learn with each other and hopefully get better at this thing that we call coaching. Um, Dean, 
going to bring you on and then we'll bring Yasser. I think he's come back from the chicken shop from last week. <laughs> is that is that me? That's, it's not me that's been at the chicken shop for a few weeks, is it Yas? No, Yas is. He's a six-pound meal in the chicken shop. And he, he literally- Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You could get everything on the menu, but we'll let him explain that when he gets home. I was going to say, I've, uh, I haven't been to the gym as much as I should be lately, but it doesn't look like I've been at the chicken shop for a month. Yeah, uh, I just was listen, listening just... to the last two minutes, and then and then you put me on on, on speaker. What, what what is going on? I make a I make a very rational and logical analogy, and uh, I get humiliated for it. No, no offense, no offense, no offense intended at all. <laughs> It was just the concept of the chicken shop. I just, I just, can't, I still can't be, get get over the fact that you're able to get everything on the menu for six pound. Yeah, come to Leicester, but don't you live in Birmingham? Should be no, I don't. I live in London. Ah, yeah, a, but you're thinking London. Leg for six pound. You're thinking London prices. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I live in Leicester, bro. We don't have uh, we don't have the level of inflation that you guys have. Fair enough. Fair enough. Being on to you, man. How are you? <laughs> Just enjoying the chat. I'm very well. Uh, great to hear uh, yourself, Gerard, and Tony speak. Agree with a lot of the stuff that you said. Um, apologies for not being around for a few weeks, but uh, should should I have a theme for my session? I think all the conversation that you've had so far is there's real value in it, and everything that everyone's talked about kind of spiked two things really in my mind. Firstly, over my time, kind of as an academy coach and going around with E-Triple-P and into the US soccer, looking at kind of how academies work. It's when there is a theme or there is a principle, how much does the coach get lost in that during the session and actually forgets about the players and really focuses in on the, on the principles and in on the theme, maybe too much and actually forgets what's going on because they've got this set of coaching points in their mind that they want to deliver. And it's almost like at the end of the month, you think, okay, well, well done for delivering that that month block of, of topics, but can you give me some feedback on the individuals that you've helped develop? And Gerard mentioned there about kind of lasering in on players. 
And coming out of academy football for a few years, it made me think about how many times I'd missed the opportunity to actually impact the individual players in the group and how much I'd actually really focused on the topic way too much. And finding that balance. And you guys were talking about you know, the, the curriculum versus the principles versus the theme and then how much flexibility do you give to your coaches you know, from a fixed curriculum where it's a, a specific session that they have to deliver all the way down to a completely flexible curriculum where coaches have freedom. And Tony mentioned about, you know, would a defender deliver heavy on the defensive topics? And they probably would because that's where their comfort zone is. So I think really finding that balance between the principles, like you mentioned, Yas, making sure, mainly my second point was, do the players actually understand what you're teaching? And the academies that I went into over a three-year period, you know, when I'd say to the players, have you seen the curriculum? Do you, have you seen the, you know, the APP or have you, has your coach shown you the principles? Have you seen the pictures? Have you seen the videos? Or do you just get, you know, told buzzwords and topics? And a lot of the time they're just told buzzwords and topics, topic for the week, uh, focus for the week, but they're not given the whole document, whether that's because the club don't want to disclose, uh, disclose it. But really there, you know, the players should get a copy of the curriculum pre-season. This is what we're working on. This is how it's going to work this season. This is everything that you're going to see through the year. And then during the sessions, it's right. When you're checking on learning, you're actually checking on the stuff that you've given them to learn pre-session, post-session, in the breaks. And then you're zeroing in on those individuals and saying, right, well, where does that individual fit within this principle or this theme? Because I really do think that some coaches, especially with the amount of stuff that's now available online, the amount of access we have to sessions by Pep, sessions by Jurgen Klopp. You know, everyone get, kind of gets really lost in these and it's like, right, well, I'm going to coach that to my under-10s or I'm going to coach that to my under-14s. But do they actually understand what's being delivered and are they actually benefiting from it? I think you're spot on there, Dean, spot on. I think for me, it is that, that, that kit question that you kind of asked, do the players really understand what's going on, what they're learning? Do we even as coaches have enough of the context as to what the players are actually taking on board? And this is one of the things I always mention to coaches. You know, again, over over years of experience, you know, one of the biggest kind of things has come really to the forefront of the way our coaches a lot of Q and A, and it's not just Q and A for the sake of it. It's actually Q and A with with, uh, with a, a real articulate approach and one that really seeks to understand and gain an understanding of what the players actually do perceive and not just in terms of their learning but just in terms of actually how they've understood the messages I think is checking in constantly to making sure the players are perceiving things the way that you would like them to and if they're not is their perception still one that we can work with and I think in turn you know you get to the end of the session you don't necessarily have to have that debrief with them to say right what did we learn today which is again another thing I think a lot of coaches are guilty of I mean, if I'm having to wait to the end of my session to find out from the players, what did you learn? I've, I've probably had a nightmare session. My observations probably gone way out the window. God knows what I was looking at or, or paying attention to while the session was going on. But I think that's a, that for me is, that's criminal. Coaches, why, why are we waiting to the end of the session to really clarify the understanding of the players? It should be happening ongoing. And I think that point there that you made is that what, are they, what are they really understanding from the session? And I think that's so key. Yeah, and, and Gerard mentioned earlier just about the, you know, if you're coaching a playing out from the back session, for example, against one centre forward, two centre forwards, however you want to do it, regardless of the age group, you're going to get that secondary learning through the team that are pressing. 
But the amount of clubs that I spoke to and sat with where they had two coaches per age group, one was a lead, one was support, but they didn't really utilise the support. It was more, you know, the biggest ego won or the person that was the full-time member won. They were the one that led the session. The supporting coach would sometimes move around with individuals, but would often come in during the water breaks to talk to individuals. You know, why are they not working one in possession, one out of possession, and you're actually coaching two topics, not as the main topic, but you're working two topics. Because if obviously the press isn't great, then the playing out from the bat is going to be too easy and the learning is false. And then suddenly you come to a, a, a competition, a tournament, and suddenly the opposition can press and you're like, oh, wow, we have never done this before because actually the, the, the defensive work in the session was poor. So again, that utilisation of the two coaches, one in possession, one out of possession, is another way potentially within the theme of the session and, and the principles to help those individual players get some secondary learning, you know, week in, week out, as opposed to them waiting for their turn. If, you know, if the structure is A, B, C, D, E, or if it's A, B, A, B, A, B, or A, B, C, A, B, C, or kind of a scattergun, uh, it's, it's another good way of doing it. Yeah, the art of co-coaching. I'm just curious to your experiences, because you mentioned this before on a on a, a sort of Twitter space that we were doing before, Dean, around you doing sessions, but you didn't necessarily have a, like a full plan, if you like. You were, you were quite organic in just coaching what the players need. You know, could you talk a little bit about that around the rationale and even just your thoughts on that? Yeah, it would often be, I'd have a, like Yas said, I'd have the principles in mind. I'd also have the individual learning plans of the players in mind. The area of the pitch that I wanted to work in, if there were a group of players that I knew could benefit from that, that were either excelling in that area where I could push them really, really, you know, to become great, or if there were players that were really struggling in that area, I'd have them in my mind. And I'd have a loose structure around the session, really around kind of the, the structure would be fixed, but then the, the, the rules of the game, the timings, and then potentially some, you know, the ways that I would move players from into out of possession, switching roles would be more on the fly. So I'd kind of look and say, right, well, are the numbers working right now. I wouldn't be set to go, right, we're going to start 9v6, then we're going to go to 8v7, then we're going to try and go even up or we're going to go even up plus one. I'd kind of just let it go on the fly. And if I could see something developing where they were starting to improve or the challenge was there, then I'd just in the moment think, well, actually, I'll just leave this. Or I'd see something and think, oh, well, maybe I'll, I'll actually change this here. And this leads naturally into a, another game. So if I was doing maybe a, you know, a 4v4 plus 4 in a possession square, then maybe I'd leave it. Then I'd start to change the area shape, maybe change the numbers. But there wouldn't be a structure to that. You know, if I was thinking to go from that 4v4 plus 4 into a 6v6, but actually it was working or it wasn't working, then the flexibility would just be there to change the numbers, change the size, like going back to kind of the old level one, level two, you know, the kind of step principles, but just having that freedom there, not thinking, right, this has to be from nine o'clock to 9.30 is this drill, from 9.30 to 9.45 is this drill, 9.45 to 10 is this, because that's where I feel like when you become obsessed with that and obsessed with the structure of the session, that's when you start to miss what the players actually need. And I, when I was a, a younger coach, kind of 10, 11, 12 years ago when I first started in academy football, I was so obsessed with my session plan that I probably missed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of opportunities to actually address and teach the players because I was so obsessed with getting the session, you know, from start to finish. Just on that, Dean, because obviously, we, you know, we work together in an environment where it is quite regimented and strict like that. 
what would you say to you know do you think you know, what would what would you say is the right balance for that because obviously i think there is an element of yes you might miss out on certain things they might need to spend a little bit longer on certain things what would you say are maybe some of the key indicators you'd say do you know what let me just leave this for a little bit longer or if you were looking at the structure and obviously this is very you know this is quite personalized and subjective depending on what's in in each session plan but is there a particular thing that you could say do you know what I'm definitely just going to drop that bit out, if you like. I think that just comes with feel, yes. Kind of experience. And when I was a younger coach, I was really obsessed with getting through my points. And I had my principles and my points, my coaching points in the top corner of my session plan. And I'd be like, right, I've got to hit all these points because if I don't, then I've failed as a coach and the session was terrible. And I spent kind of most of my time thinking more about the plan and the points that I was supposed to say as opposed to actually the things that I've seen and that I can correct or help with. So I think getting that getting that feel for the session and just sitting back and looking, right, okay, the player's enjoying it. Is the tempo good? Are they sticking to our, you know, to our principles? Are they playing the sort of football that I want them to play? If they are, then maybe I'll let it go for 10, 15 minutes longer. Maybe I'll just introduce a new rule. Maybe I'll change the shape of the area, a new challenge. Maybe I'll throw some some goals in, some, you know, some portable goals around the outside just to change maybe the focus of the game. Maybe I'll switch the rules to be, you know, more in favour of the opposition than the team that I was originally coaching to kind of trick the original team I was coaching into thinking it's not about them now when actually it really is. So, you know, some pressing rules. But I think it really comes just down to feeling, taking a, taking a few minutes as a coach to step back from the session and just watch, stay silent, just watch it for four or five minutes and say, right, is this actually, you know, is this working? Does it look like the game? Are they enjoying it? Are they sticking to what we want to do as a, as a group? And if they are, then, you know, let it go. If they're loving it, then just let it go. I, I think you're spot on there. And I think it's a great point. And it just, it just really makes me think about some of the more recent interactions I've had over last year or so in particular, where I'm actually working alongside other coaches or supporting certain coaches. And I see something that players are doing and, it might be midway through my interaction with the players that oh, the rest of the players get called in. And for a split second, the players that I'm talking to, their attention goes there. I said, no, forget about what's happening over there. We're talking over here. And it kind of just, it, it, I see it in their faces and it straight away in their mindsets is almost like, right, okay, cool. So, uh, but we might get in trouble. Forget about what's happening over there. What we're talking about right now is really prevalent to you right now. And we can deal with what the coach thinks later. Do you know what I mean? And I think that that piece is so key. And it's just really, like I said, get a feel of it. If you see something that's happening there and then, even if it's not directly related to the topic or the theme, or even what the coach who's maybe might be leading the session or not leading the session is actually talking about, there's an opportunity to impact the players, the players learning there. And it might come away from the plan. It might come out of the plan. It might not have nothing to do with the plan. And I think that's a great way to kind of just really sum up what you're saying really is just be more observant be more attentive around what's happening um, and just really try and impact wherever you can yeah exactly mate I, th I think Tony said it earlier the fact that you know if you give a player a topic and you say right our topic or our theme for today is this they can get so caught up in the topic that they actually forget like I think Gerard said it as well they forget the game and they become obsessed with oh well coach said this is the theme and this is the topic so if I do that, then coach will think I'm a good player mm. as opposed to just playing the game and making the right decision in that moment, whatever the moment is, wherever it is on the pitch. You know, what do I need to do now, you know, within that principle or within that area of the pitch or within my ILP? 
that's way more realistic to what the game will present on a Saturday or Sunday than it is saying, right, this is the theme, this is what we're doing. And the kids just become obsessed with that. No, 100%. Totally agree with you. I really appreciate your thoughts on that, Dean. No, thanks for thanks for inviting you know inviting me to speak and uh, you know great job again you Gerard Tony all the people that have joined in it's it's amazing this, the work that you're doing guys so you know really really happy to join in. I really appreciate that Dean. Yes, sir. Talk to us, man. Hey, um, so I wanted to ask uh, if there's anybody here who doesn't work in blocks because I, I it's all throughout my time coaching everybody's talking about blocks, blocks, blocks. I've actually recently moved away from it um, because uh, the way I've looked at it is is where is sort of like I was talking to you last week. I always look at where is the most value going to be. Um, now, the team that I'm working with is a senior team. So a lot of our sessions are tactical, um, uh, but I feel like the same principles can apply in, in uh, work, work technical development um, programs like you guys are talking about. Right. So I look at what is what is the biggest priority? OK, right now it's about it's about our pressing all right, and our pressing structure uh, in, in the final third. And then so I'll do a session on that. And then next week. I'll review it with one 15 to 20 minute practice and then I'll review it two weeks after that, three weeks after that, four weeks after that. So it'll be spaced further and further apart. Now, the first thing is whatever we learn, we maintain. We don't forget. We maintain what we've learned. Um, so instead of going around in a cycle of, okay, we need to work on our pressing. Oh, no, we've forgotten how to build up from back. We need to work on that. Oh, no, we've forgotten how to put cross and finish. We need to work on that. We maintain whatever we learn while also trying to develop uh, players technically and tactically. Um, but and then we look at whatever the most value is. So, is there anybody who, who actually doesn't work in blocks? I'd be interested uh, to hear. Just, just before that, you know, you get an answer. To that, I just want to kind of maybe give a bit more clarity on. You're saying you're not working in blocks anymore, which is which is fine. There's, there's no right or wrong. But how are you deciding on what it is that you're going to work on? Whatever. So when I look at my, so, so my, most of my sessions are tactical. So I look at what are the situations in game that uh, require the most attention. And is that based um, off so, previous so, games that you've been in or is that, is that in, in response to the last game or is it a, a collective observations? Or? It's, it's, um, well, it's, it, yeah, it, all, all the games, all the games, all the training sessions, my, my doing time friendlies, I look at everything. So it's not, it's not necessarily reacting to the last game. It is, in a sense, reactionary because I'm observing what's happened in the past, but I'm, I'm doing it um, with a sense of what's going to be the biggest priority in the future. So yeah. I might work on topics week by week that are completely different, different phases, etc. But my players do get development of it and I see, I'm seeing more development from this method than from the blocks method because whatever we learn we maintain it first of all I, I, th I think you know there's just a couple of things to kind of really highlight for me here obviously when you're working in a reactionary fashion you know, one of the challenges you may have is whether or not you're actually taking all the all the potentially right variables into consideration when planning and preparing for those deliveries and I think the reactive piece as well you, you're naturally going to see a quote-unquote development around what it is that you're trying to work on because it is immediately reacting to something the question is is how are you truly measuring and obviously you mentioned that you do a 15 to kind of 20 minute revisit every other week around that aspect of things but if it's a specific moment and a specific set thing you've got to ask yourself how often is that going to come up against you know how often you're going to come up against that set thing 
and have you then within that planning within that delivery given some exposure around the what ifs so if this wasn't to happen in this particular way what the other potential outcomes could be that would occur and how you might react and uh, you know respond to those appropriately if that makes sense yeah it does um the way that i i i my session topics they start off very vague so like my first um sort of so i might do one one session a general session on each phase of play and then after that i get a bit more specific into the moments of the game and then after that i can break it down even further into situations can break it down further into looking at individual players and the battles that they've got and, and specific patterns so so i've got i start off quite vague so so what you're saying is i'm not looking at one ex- specific situation i'm looking at the general principles um that can be applied to a multitude of, of scenarios um yeah but i, I don't I, I felt i feel like it's really really working because i see a lot of progression and i see i don't see us dipping ever i don't see us forgetting something and, and taking steps back it's continuously progressing forwards so I just want to know if there's anybody else who works in a different way to, to what is um, mainstream yeah it's it's interesting because I've, for the last few years and more because of the stuff I've been doing my masters and now in my PhD I've tried to go away from blocks in the sense of like isolating certain uh, blocks of learning or people talk about like periodization and things like that, because what we've found, and even from my experiences with Rochdale, you know, we used to do it where it was uh, two weeks attacking, two weeks defending, two weeks transition. I know you'll go to some clubs, like some category clubs, and Dean will know this better than me, and been an auditor, you know, they'll, they'll work in certain sort of blocks of work, like over a four week or a six week cycle or 12 weeks or whatever. And they'll, they'll focus on certain areas of the field or moments in the game. But the challenge with that, because, and this isn't just my opinion, this is based on empirical research, is that the transfer of learning is very difficult because um, you're always fighting the forgetting curve. So the minute that you train something, even in a single episode of a training session, to then remember that and retrain it, you know, it's, it's difficult. So if you look at like what makes learning stick when we talk about interleaving information, how you can interleave different topics. Um, again, retrieval, finding ways to retrieve. So that, so those two things alone touch on you know stuff that Dean was talking about, and around like again, you, you work on different types of uh, the game moments, principles, but things will counter each other, and players are getting opportunities to to gain experiences through varied experiences. And again, if you think about um, one of the last comments from Yaz where we're saying, you know, if we're, if we're asking him questions, key takeaways at the end, and we're doing this summary at the end, well, we should have been doing, a, a you know, a review and an ongoing reflection and check for understanding what have you right throughout the session. So you've got retrieval, you've got interleaving, and then you've got other, you've got spacing. So having opportunities where the things are spaced in between. But if you're focusing on something, then you jump to the next topic, you'll often f- forget, what you're doing. And if you think about this, even in the simplest term, without getting, you know, because I'll have my PhD hat on, I'll probably start using overly academic terms. But if you think of it as like, if we've ever tried to revise and we cram shit in, and I did this at uni, I'm sure everyone can relate to this. And I was revising for an exam. All I did was study that, like meticulously, what the right and wrong answer was, which is ridiculous. 
But then by the end of it, once I'd done the exam and had passed, I forgot it. Like, I can't tell you anything what I learned from my theory test. From a dry, I, I remember bits, but for driving, because you, you do it, don't you, and you cram it in, it's short-term memory. So it's instantly forgotten because it's, it's, it's information that you've told in your head. Like it's not, it's not useful anymore. And just to sort of conclude that, I would recommend a spiral curriculum. And the reason why is I'll first explain some of the other challenges of like when people talk about blocked or why not a block? Why not, you know, people talk about like tactical periodization and things like this. Well, if we first think about periodization, think about like what that means, you know, what a block means and what periodization means, because it's often a, it, it's an act of uh, dividing a series of content into shorter periods of subdivisions in isolation which is designed to lead to a peak in performance in a given period. But the challenge with that is that every child is different. You know, every human being is different. Organisms were different. And therefore, the needs are different. So not everything can be compartmentalized, you know, systematically into a linear fashion because we know learning isn't linear. Performance isn't linear. You know, where everyone must learn about the same things in a universal, structured, predetermined fashion, like this flat pack approach, um, you know, if you take football, you know, you're not like it's not a first level where you're trying to manage physical loading and you're trying to peak and, and then taper off and what have you, getting ready for that Saturday or for that midweek game. You know, I think Ben Barler put a tweet about this recently in that, you know, we're wanting our players to constantly have a lifetime of, of progression and peaks and what have you because the young, the developing, um, and everyone develops a different rate. If we think about a spiral curriculum, so this is why I work differently to blocks. A spiral curriculum is one where um, there's an iterative revisiting of, of key messages over time. So you're planting seeds on different things, but you'll cover them over time consistently. So you're revisiting consistent messages um, across a range of subjects and areas of focus throughout their learning journey. So it's not simply a repetition of a taught topic or specific theme, um, which is interesting how it's come back to this for the question of tonight, but it actually requires a deepening of it. So versus doing like a breadth approach where it's in blocks or periodization is breadth versus depth. A spiral curriculum is more about going into depth versus breadth because you can actually go deep into topics, but then you're planting seeds for the next one and you're revisiting those key messages over time in a spiral fashion. So it, require, it allows people to design stuff where, like similar to the examples I gave before, where we all talked about where we can be working on certain principles, but we're also, there's a counter principle to that. And we might not be talking about finishing the attack. We may be mainly talking about ways in which we can create the attack, but because of the design of the practices, there'll be elements of finishing within the practice or in a game, they'll be scoring goals or they'll be scoring some sort of pug goal or target of some kind. So, you know, and they'll get opportunities of attacking defending player actions within each uh, session if it's game realistic. So, therefore, you're working on all these things, but you're planting seeds and you're touching point on more than others. But then over time, you'll be building that cup up of experiences Um where you're constantly building on the previous message, if that makes sense. So it's a layer of key consistent messages versus one-off events in blocks where we really specialise in that and then we move on to the next topic.
And the reasoning behind it has been because of stuff that I said before, but that we know people learn experientially. You know, players learn holistically and experientially. They need to gain experiences. And everything we're doing needs to be individually focused. So if we can design environments that include the moments of the game, that, that you know, the principles that don't change, you know, the principles don't change, irrespective of what your playing philosophy is, what formation you prefer to play or whatever, they'll exist in every game. As a coach, it allows you that freedom then to shine a light on certain parts more than others, whilst considering the needs of like flexibility within learning and how different, you know, each child will get there at different rates and at different times and they will regress in the development. Because as we said, you know, learning and performance is non-linear. There'll be times where they show you like, fucking hell, we've got it. And there'll be other times where we're like, what's going on here? We haven't got it, but that's okay. And within a spiral, because you're revisiting previous messages, you're, you're constantly building on the layers. So you're making that player more robust versus working in a block. Um, sorry if that's a long-winded explanation, but hopefully, you know, I've, I've had quite a bit of experience in this. It sort of feeds into my PhD. And I'd encourage you to look at spiral curriculums. I'd encourage you to even think about, you know, what could that look like, even within a first-team setting, where you will need flexibility, to Tony's point right at the start. You know, Tony said, you know, if we're struggling at this, but we've, you know, we're working on Tuesday night combination play in the final third or whatever, well, actually, the kids need to get better at what we've been really struggling at. So it can't just be like, you know, because the paper says X, we've got to do X. But actually, mm-hmm. how can you design learning experiences that, that meet the needs of the players? I think that's brilliant, Charlie. And just, 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 before, just before you give a response to that, I just want you to consider as well, you talk there about retention of learning and, and it, it, it seems to be sticking with your players. But I'm really curious to know, when you're doing those review practices in your sessions, is that where that retention is being demonstrated or are they actually able to demonstrate it to you in the match days as well? Is that for me or you say? No, that was for you, sir. For me? Yeah, so obviously you mentioned earlier about, you know, you're doing a 15, 20-minute kind of... Yeah, recall, yeah, recalls if you like every other week just to kind of go over the stuff that you've really covered. Is that where they're demonstrating to you their understanding, or are they able to still demonstrate that to you when it gets to a match day? Because, so, yeah, yeah, yeah gone. So, um, first of all, thanks for to um, I don't know you, you learn B's name, but uh, thanks a lot for that response. Um, oh, it's uh, me, Gerard. Gerard, yeah, yeah. so you learn about what iterative uh, sort of review recollections on your PhD? Well, yeah, I'm doing this now. So I'm investigating basically how you can create environments that make people learn. And in particular, in football, like how players make decisions. So looking at the feedback, the communication that coaches use to guide the the visual search of the player. So, and as a result of that, because you, your communication when you're coaching players or the information you share information can lead players to search for information from the environment hopefully which is an external focus of attention or which more often happens is that coaches are giving instructions to players on what the correct solution is to do versus guiding the players visual search so then what they're doing is their their information is like mechanistic which is an internal focus that reduces decision 
and there's a, that's a topic for another day, but it's it's a problem. So because of that, it's then obviously delved off into like what are coaches, you know, because practice design and environments are intertwined with the with the dominant coaching behavior, which is giving information, feedback. And it can be done through different mechanisms, you know, visually, haptic, and share information, right? You use an iPad, you use a doing aggles, you can do what you want. But the the reality is is that that inter, that is intertwined with directly linked to your practice design. So then, as a result of my doctorate um, and looking at within a sort of ecological dynamics, which I know if you look at Southampton now, Southampton have actually created an ecological lab within a constraints led approach. So they're actually investigating this. They've created their own lab within the academy to look at um, learning environments and practice design. So I think it's fascinating. So that's where you know, these questions have led on to more questions then, if that makes sense. And obviously mm. then I've looked at practice design. Well, what does the, how does practice design influence coaching behaviours and interventions and things like that and players' decision-making? And then it's looked into the detail of, well, like what are we actually doing and how does that structure look? And it's very highly structured, a lot of environments. And because of that, you know, it's let, we've been able to actually look at the retention and, decision-making, problem-solving, transfer of learning, blah, blah, blah. And that's where I've, you know, drawn from other theories and paradigms as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, man. I could, I could have told you some of that for free, by the way. <laughs> um, but to answer to answer Yasser's question, my players will, will learn that, will, will demonstrate that in-game. Um, so, so yeah, they've got to show it in game. Um, so, so the, the reviews are not the review. Yeah, the reviews are not for them to show their learning. The, the learning they got to show it in the game, but the reviews are there just to remind them of the key concepts uh, and to build on it. So, for example, uh, when it comes to say in possession, I keep talking to my players about creating superiorities on the pitch. Right? Can we create overloads? Can we find players in space? Can we create one v ones where you know our one is better than their one? So, so we want to create those situations. Um, and if I if I if I mention it during one block of sessions and never again, they're gonna forget it, and and they're gonna the, the new concepts they learn will be at the forefront of their minds. So, what what's um, so I say it's about bringing those concepts back up, allowing them f- to forget and re remember, and tying it into everything else that we've learned. But also, I'd say build on that. So, um, so so on top of superiorities, the next stage I'd say is. Is can we play the ball with speed? Can we can we take one touch instead of when if we can take if we're taking three touches when we can take one? Can we take one? Can we take two? Can we take one? So uh, playing the way you're facing, move the ball at high speed, um, building on that with new concepts, but tying everything together. And I've been does that, that might sound like a bunch of waffle. Um, yeah, I, th- I think to be honest with you, what what I would say to you is if 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 you're not doing it to check, check their learning. I don't. I don't think. I don't. I don't understand the real benefit that it, or the purpose it's serving for you. So I think it's, it's something for you to consider around. Right. If I'm going to be doing something and it's not going to be working, and I'm developing their learning or challenging their retention or assessing their retention, is probably a better way to put it. Then it, it's probably not serving you much benefit in around around doing it. But you know, I think I think we're moving on to a conversation that might be a, a topic for another day. So. I want to thank you for getting involved and thank everyone so far, but I want to move on to Johnny because I'm, I'm conscious of time as well. Um, Johnny, talk to us, man. 
Hey, fellas. Um, I wasn't sure where tonight's episode was going to go, but it's been one of your best. I think the input and the, the chat's been phenomenal, Jedi. I just smashed out of the park, so I'm just going to try and be short and sharp here and quick. Um, we don't want to be joystick coaches, so, so I don't think we should be joystick to your theme in a session. I think it's important. You've got to be open to it. You've got to, All right, okay, you've got to let it flow. And then within that... Um, I think you need to have non-football focused measures or KPIs, however you want to put it. So you need to look into, this is my theme, but what's the competitiveness? How motivated are the players to, to, you know, to maintain standards? How motivated are the players to get you know properly stuck into what you're trying to do? If it's not working, don't be afraid to chuck it. Just move on, get feedback, do it another day. And on the same point, I know that Dean mentioned it, but if it's going well and it's competitive and it's doing what you want it to do, just let it go. You know, don't stop it. And uh, that's it. I'm just going to be short and sharp tonight. Johnny, I think it's a fantastic point. And in fact, I was just having a conversation about this a couple of days with a coach. On the other end of the spectrum, if you can see it ain't working, stop it. Because I think there's, I think that's that's another danger and another massive thing I see coaches do all the time. They're looking at the session. They're not quite happy with what's going on. They don't. They don't quite. You know, and I think there's a there's a sense of vulnerability that needs to come with coaching, right? And I see it all the time with coaches where they, you know, naturally, you know, we're, we're seen as the leaders of the environment. We're seen as these egotistical people. And I think there is an element of ego with, with all of us in terms of the, the, the roles that we're going into. But I think we also need to accept, we need to be vulnerable. We need to look at the situation. Sometimes, you know, I've been in situations where, and I wouldn't do this all the time because then players will lose credibility for it. But I've been in situations where I literally said, do you know what, this isn't quite working. What are your thoughts? And we'll, we'll unpack it together and actually explore, all right, how do we get this back on track together? And I think that, for me, sort of serves as such a powerful tool in my, in, in my collaboration with the players and even, even, even the relationship that I end up building with them because they actually understand that, you know, yes, Yas is the coach or whoever is the coach, but they're on this journey just the same way as we are. We're actually doing this together. And I think that that piece in itself kind of just amplifies the impact that we could potentially have as well. And I think just to come back to your point, if it ain't broke, don't fix it is essentially what you're saying. But I think on the other side of it, coaches strongly urge, if you recognise this is not working for you, stop it. Don't let it run another 30 seconds. Don't let it run another 60 or however long because every second that you're losing is a second that, does, that, 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 that they're not getting what they need. And if you've identified they're not getting what they need, put an end to that. You know, I think I think it's a, it's a great point to kind of just, just summarise on, on what you said, though, Johnny. So you know, thank you really, much, very much for that. Really appreciate that, man. Don't know what your thoughts are on that, Gerard. I think outstanding. Great to hear from you, Johnny. Bloody well said. I think actually, my thought process there was even tying in with some of the stuff I think Dean was mentioning earlier around, you know, actually asking players like how often has he gone into clubs where we've got the APP, we've got our strategy, we've got our curriculum, all this stuff, but are there just buzzwords or have the academy management staff ever shared those documents with the parents or with the players? And listening to Johnny there just made me think about how we can design KPIs to measure our effectiveness in these areas, which is huge, but then equally, can we share those and can we co-construct those? with the key stakeholders in our environments. And it just opens up for another segue 
you know, for another topic in the future of what that could look like. Because I think if we can sort of get feedback from parents and get feedback from players and get feedback from coaches to sort of co-design what those KPIs look like, not just, you know, us guys at the top, the senior staff, but actually go on a journey with them, create a document, share it with them and get their input as well. I think that's huge. So, no, brilliant. Well said. And anything that we can do to... There you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.